Well, I stand afore the scene of apparent destruction. It's been busy in the grow garden as usual, but instead of planting things in the ground, we've been tagging things out. If it all has been keen out. I ruined five medium-sized willow trees that were just beginning to gain on the big size for the garden. And they would have been a problem in no time at all. And a huge, massive clump of dogwood. Now, if one ever tried to take out dogwood, you'll came for the mean. It gets our way. And this, of course, is quite a part for the, the seven giant willows that were teen doing with the big snar at the beginning of the year. And they have yet to be cleared. But the good news is, by the magic chainsaw skills, oh Geordie, that helps me in the garden, and sometimes gives me a hard time about my gardening skills, as you can remember, the bonny big walls of the garden have not been damaged. So we're all set for the cutting up of them in due course. But the wisdom was, if we ever hey, only wisdom, is to get the cutting done and the tucking out adding at the same time so we can hire a big machine to mark wood chips out of the scrag. Now, Q or Heat Gardener, Dave Mitchell, far will tell us about fan we can use the aforementioned wood chips. Nothing is easy. And fit an amount we have to note. Trailer loads. Hour and far park ready to be sorted. I'll post a few photos of the, the grow garden in its destructive mode up on our Facebook page. They like to see the extent of the work. And of course, there's the ubiquitous jabby rose that jabbed us all through the Takanuta stuff. As Jordy said, watch out for that coarse jabby rose or it'll tuck it in the back of the logs. <laughs> and it did a few times. But we're nearly finished on this side of the garden, just the other side to D. But we have to wait until the honeybees are sleeping before we can do that. And speaking of honeybees, we have a special neighbour to visit up at the new apiary. Made about that later. So, out to the greenhouse. The sun's just come out. Flashing across the bonny floor, still in full bloom. Ah, the tagetas and the tamthooms. And ah, the wild floors and other colours. Beautiful. I've still got cucumbers, late salad leaves... And as I said, the tomatoes have been a bumper crop. Wild floors, just about ready to get outside and into the big park. I've been marking ready for quite some time. But, speaking of time, it's time we joined the buds in their virtual sheds again. They're all sitting, waiting for us, wondering for what are. So off we go. <laughs> tripping, ooch, tripping over the... Yeah. <laughs> Tripping over the, the bits of trees that's yet to be gathered. Never mind. Next step is to cover the area we would chip. It's a big area. Down there. For the doggy. Babs, come on. Let's go. Let's go. Join the others. Come on. Let's go. Good girl. Come on. Hello and welcome to your virtual sheds and our real gardens. Like before, I'm still Frida Morrison and the team are still themselves, despite laughing. As is the norm, if ever there was such a thing again, we are enthused by the notion that it's Nefarawa for your special Christmas programme. I 
I mentioned it, can't help it, but we are inclined to enjoy the festivals. Maybe you were much in some cases. Anyway, to the new time in the garden. Well, still gathering in the fruits of our labours, still keeping up with the jobs, and this month, like other times, some things worked and others, well, went off the glide. What can you expect? Warmest day in September for 115 years. 29 degrees in some beds. And then plummeted temperatures again. On the way, we've to mark the best out. And on that note, let me introduce the team. In the left shed, our soon starter, Richie Werner. Richie, if it's been happening doing in Embra. Aye, aye. Well, you mentioned uh, the fruits of our labours. So I've had some fantastic fruits off my crab apple tree this year. What a crop. So I've had the kids out, doing the windfall, and they've been going up the ladder, and I've been having them, and they've been going after the nice wee oh. and orange apples. So they're great. I'm looking forward to actually making that into crab apple jelly. And that crab apple jelly goes on to become a key ingredient for my signature sweet and sour sauce. <laughs> and so I've had your crab apple I've <laughs> had your crab apple jelly because you gave me that for a Christmas oh, present. I love- you? <laughs> yeah. Let's not mention that Stuart's inquiry. Okay, no, no, we're not gonna go there again. All right. In the rec shed, chair of the Open Garden Scheme and a past curator of the Ember Botanics. Welcome, Dave Mitchell. Feature topics this episode, Dave. Well, just before you get to that, Frida, you can, it's hard to believe it's September already. Oh, and the summer's going and autumn's right. here. You can't talk to Richie there, talking about crab apples and that, but we're as busy in the garden in the kitchen as ever. Oh, aye. And with the year marching on, I'm <laughs> going to be talking about dealing with knocker out shrubberies and bitties of mixed borders is really starting to think about preparing the garden for winter and what you should be doing in, in, in October. Then I think you can sit in a chair and eat crab apple jelly with brie and ham and <laughs> goodies like that. You're na- there's plenty for you to do without that. Kiddish. Oh, no. Hi, fit wine, eh, as they say up here. Fit wine. <laughs> okay, and our cook with the art of magic coming to us for Haber. Welcome, Claire Patterson. It's on the menu this time, Claire. Hiya, Frida. Well, today we've got a, a lovely warming autumn minestrone, some spicy green beans, and then a couple of sweet recipes with honey for all those lovely autumnal flavours. Oh, I love it. I love it. Right, Dave, we have a few more questions coming up. But first, can you keep me recht as regards the use of wood chips? I mentioned it earlier, since I'm going to be doing a lot of chipping in the next few weeks, as will a lot of other folk might be as well. So fits the answer there. Well, you can feel it personally. I think it's best practice to let your fresh chippings and chippings the other green wood nut that's been through the chipper sit for a while before you use them, at least four months, especially if the timber lakes for conifers and trees like oaks and ash, because all these things are full of tannins and other chemicals that would damage the fine surface roots. So if you leave them in a stack for about, uh, I would say, four months, that mm-hmm. lets that toxicity kind of leach into the soil uh, near your compost heap uh-huh. and then you can use them as a mulch. You can get away with putting them straight onto the ground round about mature plants, kind of like the highways department sometimes they on motorway embankments and sick bitties, but uh-huh. I, I, I don't recommend that for the garden. You've really got to let them stack and, uh, and let it sit for a while because you, you wouldn't want to you know, kind of damage the roots of young plants that you might be putting no. in after. It's better to sit there. The big commercial companies, they let them sit in big stacks for perhaps even longer than that, and they turn them as well a wee bit. Right. Now that I've cleared this huge area, 
foot would you recommend I put in to grow there? That's the next question. Oh, you see, all buddies the same. They're all trying to get to the plant. Now, I've told everybody before, it's all about preparation. So while you're thinking about what you want to put in there, you need to make sure you get right rid out all the old roots and the timber that you've cut down. And really, you know, you want to be thinking about what shape do you want the edge of the border to be? Do you want it to be straight or do you want it to be curved? You should define that edge with a line and and then you should start to dig the ground and maybe get some farmyard manure incorporated into it. I would, if I was making a new border after you'd cleared out a bit of like yours, I would be digging it, getting the roots out, getting farmyard manure in and all that. Oh, if it was me in a situation like that, I would be looking at a mixed border, combination of evergreen shrubs, deciduous shrubs, herbaceous perennials, varying heights, and a smarter and a bulbs for seasonal colour. Spring flowering things, ribes, forsythia, dutsias, philadelphus, budleas, hydrangeas, oh, and you know, twash rub roses, they're a good, especially the ends that produce good hips. And then, don't forget about the winter. In a big border like that, you could get maybe things like Viburnum farrari and the Bowden Intensi hybrids. I love them because you can cut them in the winter and bring them into the house and mm -hmm. all that. Hamamelis, Garias. Now, in that situation where you up there, I know, you maybe would think about things like evergreens, like Viburnum tinus, Euonymus, some of the evergreen Catoniasters. I'd maybe even be, I'd be bold enough to try a Petosporum or two. And Really, as your herbaceous plants, the world's your oyster. You put in what you like. Just think about putting in decent-sized clumps that will give you seasonality right along the border, mixed with maybe a few daffs, tulips, lilies, agapanthus. Be bold. That's the thing. Be That's bold. That's the thing. Right. That's my New Year's resolution. I am going to be bold. Dave, thank you for that. It's just treasures I, I think you suggest. Right. Back to you later. Hear me questions without Claire. On to you to tempt our taste buds. Give your first two recipes. All right, Frida. So I'm starting today with an autumn minestrone. So our polytunnel, it's slowly emptying of all the summer bounty, which means we find ourselves with lots of wee bits and bobs to use up. So this for me, with the drop in temperature, you need soup. Mm -hmm. um, so for this one, you start with some chopped bacon or pancetta and a wee bit of olive oil until it's starting to crisp up. And then add in a chopped onion, carrot, couple of sticks of celery, a bay leaf, a few sprigs of thyme or rosemary and you cook that gently until it's soft. Then in goes a tablespoon of tomato puree, a few of your late tomatoes peeled and chopped up um, and some good um, chicken or vegetable stock. Bring it up to a simmer, give it 10 minutes or so and then add your veggies. So my most recent version, there was some diced kohlrabi in there, some chopped courgettes, a wee bit of kale Simmer it till the vegetables are tender and then add a wee bit of small pasta shapes or broken spaghetti and cook it till the pasta is tender. Um, and then serve it with a wee drizzle of olive oil, a good sprinkling of parmesan, maybe a wee bit of black pepper. Oh, that sounds absolutely delicious. I just want like, a frosty day and a bowl of that soup. I know. We're almost there. We're almost to the frost. Yeah. Almost there. And then another one to warm you up with your green beans, spiced green beans. So you know what I'm like. When in doubt, add a bit of spice to it. Makes everything better. So this is some like fragrant Indian spices. You blanch your green beans in boiling water for two or three minutes. Refresh it in iced water. 
and then in a frying pan or a wok, a wee drop of sunflower oil, gently fry some chopped garlic and ginger just until it's fragrant, then crack up the heat, chuck in a sprinkle of black mustard seeds, a few cumin seeds, a bit of salt, chilli flakes, the beans, stir fry those just to heat them through, finish them cooking and they're absolutely delicious. A wee bit of heat, a wee bit of earthiness from the cumin, really cracking wee side dish there. Oh, Claire, you manage it every time. You can just just, just attempt our taste buds. I think that just when it's on this cusp between uh, autumn and winter, I think you're coming up with there, and I've got a bumper crop as well with French beans and broad beans, just ideal. No, our grow garden has had a fair amount of chums and visitors this summer. And if you get into our Grow Radio website, you can see the film that Urthen Nixon made on any of the days in the Grow Garden on www.growradio.com. Now, to all the visitors, with our pals Faye Dalton near Lockerbie, Fiona Dean and Paul Cosgrove, and Fiona and Paul sent in a lovely bunch of questions last season. But this month, I'm visiting a very special neighbour at a very special place called simply the Tarland B Group Apiary. It's a new site a few miles out of the Aberdeenshire village of Tarland. And there I joined up with the one and only Yvonne Davidson, lead trustee for the Tarland B Group. We stand at the gate of the beautiful wall garden that houses the apiary, and Yvonne tells us more about the club. Well, this is a um, new venture for Tarlin B Group, along with the apple pressing group and the seed swap group. We've taken over um, Old Town Walled Garden, kindly allowed by the McRobert Trust Estate, to use this as an education facility, and we've been doing a considerable amount of work and building to get the place ready. This is fantastic. Now we're walking down the path and through the gate, but on either side, well on my left hand side, there looks like there's all uh, beehives with their tops cut off. Yeah, old beehives with nail lids. So these are um, old WBCs, so nice big beehives and we've utilised them as uh, raised beds for the seed swap group. That's a great idea when we've got... uh, uh, instruction. Oh yeah, we've got these on the side. Information panels on the right-hand side because people are coming, welcome to come into the garden and just use it as a relaxing place. So the information signs on the right-hand side give you information about the garden and about pollinators and bees and things. Fit a place. I mean, when you said, okay, meet me at the apiary up in Thailand, I thought, right, it'd be a wee place. <laughs> but I never expected anything like this. You know, we're very fortunate to have been offered this site by McRobert Trust. They're extremely good to uh, lots of charities round uh, about the area. You know, I'm looking at this, it says, on the, the beehive, one of the beehives, it says, modified WBC beehive. What does that mean? Well, um, William Broughton Carr invented the twin wall beehive. Well, when I say invented, he was the second person, actually, to make it better. But So it's a twin-walled beehive, and this one is slightly different from his original version, which you'll see on the right-hand side. Right. So we've got a selection of beehives here. One of them that people would be most interested in would be the Glen because it's an absolutely massive beehive, still on the WBC um, way of making it, but it holds a 16 frames, which is a jolly big hive. And, I mean, this hasn't been an easy year for for beekeepers, but has it been a a difficult year for bees? Uh, The weather's... Well, the warmer and wetter climate is certainly um, having an effect, I would say. The thing that's been most noticeable this year is that the... The crops have been really good, but the queens are struggling to mate. Now then, 
<laughs> Any ideas for why that is? Well, I think at the end of the year, we're just going to have to try and uh, work it out. And I'm sure all the boffins have got some ideas as well. But uh, certainly the queens are nut mating so fast as they normally do. It can normally be you want them to mate in the first four to 12 days. And they're taking up to a month to mate. So that's a, a worry going on that maybe they're mated after a month but maybe not well mated. And we won't find that out until the spring. So there could be a shortage of bees? Well, there certainly could be a, a lot of losses over the winter if oh the queens haven't God. been well mated. So shortage of honey, maybe a scarcity of honey, scarcity of bees. The knock-on effects. It, is this, do you think, adding to climate change? Well, I wouldn't be the one to answer that, but I certainly notice that the weather is warmer and wetter which is what they predicted it was going to be. And it's certainly this summer I feel much, much warmer and much more humid. Uh -huh. We're not used to humid weather up here. But no, I mean, we've got extremes. I would say we're going through something like a monsoon every now and then. Yeah, yeah. And it's, it's funny, isn't it, that you don't often notice things just changing slowly. I'm noticing the fact that the, the, the leaves seem to be hanging on the trees longer. I'm sure they weren't on the trees this long, looking so green. No, no. I mean, they're only just beginning to dull now. I mean, the rowans are a fantastic crop this year. The rowans are just cherry red. If you drive a wee bit further along here, the rowans are just unbelievable. That's unbelievable. I'm looking down here at this amazing structure, carving, or oh, uh, a tree stump. Tell us about that, Yvonne. Well, we take a cut down two trees that they were rotten at the stump, but we cut them off at about two metres high because we thought we would make them into chairs. But this lovely gentleman came along, Maladin. He's from Bulgaria. He has a fine arts degree and he has gifted this sculpture to the community as a, a thank you to all the community groups that have welcomed them and welcomed his wife into the community. So this is a to represent the it's a twisted structure almost kind of celtic looking a celtic knot isn't yes it? and so this the the five twists represent the five elements and the one in the middle will have a bee coming from it so you're seeing it half finished it's Aye. still to be a mobile with five wooden flowers and a wooden bee as well and i was noticing all at the far one Oh, there's a lovely <laughs> carving of a bee. Is that another bit of stump? Yes, that's our neighbour Alistair at the top of the slack made us this fantastic uh, sort of 2D of a, a bee out of a pallet. He's oh, been pallet. making. Yes, no, no, he's been making stuff all summer during lockdown. And uh. Uh, he, uh, when I challenged him to make a bee, he wasn't sure, but I th think you'll agree he's made a grand job oh, with it. It's amazing. And then up. Up in front of us now is the big cabin, the big community cabin that you've just got around. And you've got a compost toilet. Yes, compost so toilet. community cabin with um, access, disabled access. That's just going in today, actually. The lads have had to stop work until we get it done. And um, so that will have disabled access and then into a, a community space to be used by all the Tarlin Development Group projects and um, an indoor teaching hive for next summer once oh, the wow. bees are up and running again, and a compost toilet. Aye, and near and dear to our heart, a sedum roof. Yeah, that a just went roof. on last week, and the weather's been really kind to us. It's been kind of drizzly rain since it went on, so Aye. it's getting a fair watering, and it's, uh, 
It's looking absolutely fantastic. And did you put it on? No. <laughs> you had to climb up there. I wouldn't have, I wouldn't have put it no, on. No, 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 no. It's, uh, it's all been professionally done. We've had some fantastic workmen here doing things. So, yeah, uh, the, the sedum roof looks great. Okay. And speaking about fantastic workmen, <coughs> there's two digger drivers, well, diggers working stopped for a cup of tea while we do this recording. And it's just... They're, they're fine, please, and being very, very polite. Yes. Yeah. Well, we did bribe them with cake, so... Aye. Cake's important <laughs> for that kind of thing. Now, stepping over the, the big trench that they've just dug, and we're into another little covering. And I, I, I just love... What's the right name for the, the little skeps in the wah? So these are called... The, the granite structure is the, the wall and it has B bowls in it, B-O-L-E-S, and they were traditionally put into walled gardens on the south-facing wall and bees were kept in them in skeps. Locally, folk would call that a rusky, uh-huh. but, you know, it's known as a skep. They can be made of all sorts of things. Ours are made of straw and it just literally for putting a swarm into and keeping bees and then you can put littler skeps on top purely for honey. They're so bonny. They're really and bonny. The it's a lovely of, feature. Uh, uh, it's a feature that I didn't hear in my own wall garden. Oh, I, but you would I, like. I covet them. Yeah. I covet your, yeah. your skeps in there. <laughs> and then we've got the underground little covering in here. Is there a sedum roof in this one as well? No, no. This is just an ordinary roof on this one. This one's actually been up for a couple of years. We found that when we were teaching, we were often rained off. But mm-hmm. uh, still a warm enough day to teach, but mm-hmm. too wet to teach. So... When we started this new Avebury, we've put up this, it's almost like a carport, really. It's a covered shelter so that we can teach even if the weather's just a wee bit inclement. And across the wall, I'm, across, I'm looking at your, your community orchard as yes, well. Yes, I know. So the community orchard, it's McRobert Trust Estate that run the a community orchard. Steve McCallum, the gardener, has um, planted all these heritage varieties of trees. And during lockdown, nay this year, but last year, we actually made labels for other trees. So the trees have all now got a slate labels telling you all about which variety it is. So folk would care and fit kind of variety that yes, they, they yes. could plant up here and it's picking, best for here. Yes, uh-huh. And I mean, they, we, we're allowed to collect their apples and the apple pressing group makes apple juice and it's sold at the local market every year. It's fantastic. It is. It, this is a unique community, isn't it? It really is. It's got nothing going for it, but it's... It's it's ideas and bringing the community along with the ideas. Yeah. It's not just oh, us, we'll do something and they can catch up. The community is actually enjoying nothing you're doing. Yeah, well, there's been a huge amount of community involvement in this because we planted the wildflower meadow. Um, there's a huge amount of painting being done. We got the hedge from the a woodland trust and the members all planted the hedge. We've actually got another bit of hedging coming from them again this year to continue that line right along in front of the yeah. new building but can as hedge well. In, is it roses? It's mixed Mixture. wild, yeah. Uh-huh. So there's roses and I think there's dogwood and oh. um, yeah, <laughs> there's all sorts of things in there. But but basically, I think the woodland trust called it a pollinator hedge. So it is oh. really designed for pollinators. This is something we need to find out more. Yes, the Woodland Trust are absolutely great. We're getting a pile of trees from them as well for the Jubilee. It's just an amazing place. Thank you very much for inviting me here because I had no idea that it was I would have heard about it. But when you see it, I'm, I'm 
operation is great. Speaking about an operation, the twa lads. They're ready to get back to work. We better let them back to it. KNC offered groundworks. I've been very kind to us and uh, they're standing waiting patiently to get going and they're digging again. Yvonne, thank you. Not at all. My pleasure, Frida. (laughs) Yvonne Davison, lead trustee of the Tarvin B Group. And congratulations to everyone and our members. What an amazing place and the club. Our ages are in there. Youngest member is four years old, folks. I, I think you'll agree that this is a unique place that has unique ideas. Think you mark of this, Dave? I, I think it, it, it's a, a model for, that, that could be followed in many other parts of the country. The McRobert Trust, the work that Stephen McCallum does, all that, you know. It's just grand to hear about spaces being used in this way and you know landowners and charitable trusts and others helping to facilitate that partnerships are the key to growing gardens and growing folk and growing communities going for it right this is grow radio i'm frida morrison and with me is dave mitchell and our cook claire patterson and then the wheel who's steering us through the waves in edinburgh is richie werner <laughs> Aye, aye. Aye, aye. You're still hey. there, Richie. What do you make of that place? That sounds amazing. That sounds so brilliant up there. Oh, my goodness. It just gives you a boost, doesn't it? Youngest, mem- ah. youngest member, Richie, four years ah. old. The youngest ah, member. Ah, you see. Great, great to start him young, eh? That's great. <laughs> right, Claire, back to you. Use your next one recipes. The next one, Frida, we've got a broad bean hummus. Use up all those broad beans you've got. Um, so this can be a dip or a spread... And it's good for the bigger broad beans, so not the wee baby new ones, but the end of the season ones that need a good boiling. So for best results, double pod them, even though it's a pain to do. So you boil about a pound of the broad beans, podded weight, for five minutes till tender. Then remove the inner pod, so you've got that lovely bright jewel-like interior. Keep a wee bit of the cooking water as well. Then add the beans to a blender, along with a couple of tablespoons of tahini, the juice of a lemon, good sprinkle of salt, wee pinch of chilli flakes, crushed clove of garlic, and a couple of tablespoons of olive oil. Get a whiz. If you need a wee bit of the cooking liquid, add that to just get a dip-like consistency. Get a taste, and then you can add extra garlic, lemon, tahini, salt, chilli, whatever you like, so it's to your own taste. And then I'd pop that in a wee dish, and you'd serve that with crudités or some toasted pita bread, and it's lovely. That sounds great. And your next one? And my next one is um, some plums. So we got a great crop of plums from a neighbour recently. So try to get them all used up. And these are baked plums with honey, vanilla and brambles. So I'd toss some half and pitted plums with a wee bit of sugar, a wee drizzle of honey and a vanilla pod chopped into pieces. Um, arrange those in a single layer in a shallow dish and into a hot oven for... 10-15 minutes just until they're softened and a wee bit sticky and caramelised around the edges. Toss in a couple of handfuls of your brambles and just gently combine those so you don't break up the fruit. The berries are going to soften a wee bit in the hot juices, release their juice into the residual heat of the plums and then let it cool a wee bit but serve it with ice cream or cream or custard or whatever you like. Um, with a few toasted almonds sprinkled on the top. Oh, thank you. I got some plums for a neighbour. I'm going to try that in as well. Thank you, Claire. Right, we have in front of us a bonny couple of photos sent in by Pat McLeod. Or oh, a little bee, brown in colour and fuzzy. 
and Pat asks what it is. Dave, what is it? Well, first of all, let me say it was an awful good photo. Okay, it was Aye. nice and close up and sharp. But anyways, from what I can see, I think it might be a worker moss carder bee, Bombus muscorum. But I can't just quite see the side of it, and I can't see its backside either, okay. because the worker moss carder bee has a yellow backside. And it's kind of difficult. It likes sand dunes and meadows and moorland, and it, it, it feeds on things like clovers and vetches and brambles. If it's no that, I think it's a common carder bee, Bombus piscorum, which is more common in gardens, urban spaces, and farmland, and it likes thistles and gorse and foxgloves and Michaelmas daisies. So I think we ain't never hang up, wear it comfy, what I can see. And the kind of distribution of both of them, I suspect it's more likely to be the common card that be Bombus Pascorum. Right, I'm going with that in as well. I think you're right. Okay. Now, Ken and that Yvonne, far we heard about through the apiary, and her husband James are keen gardeners, I asked Yvonne to give us two questions. This is what she asked first. The first one is that um, we have been donated a hedge from the Woodland Trust, which is all for pollinators. And we're wondering, it's been in for two years now and it's growing up, it's about five feet. And we're just wondering how sere we should prune it to get a nice thick hedge. Okay, back to you, Dave. Well, just looking at that kind of woodland mix, the Woodland Trust hedge, it's got things in it like field maples and hawthorns and blackthorn. So I would be waiting until they were at least six feet high, leaving the leaders alone and then decide what height you want it. You may even want it to be slightly informal and allow some of them to come up higher. The side shoots, I would be cutting them back this winter or early next year, say February, March, be about half to encourage branching and thickening. And I'd certainly make sure, most of all, that the plants remain weed-free and I would give them a wee light feed with some general fertiliser next spring, followed by a good mulch, a well-rotted farmyard manure, garden compost or leaf mould. You know, hedges need a wee bit of feeding, so that, that, that's what I would be doing with them now. Grand, David. Now, this is Yvonne's second question. Here at the Apiary again, we've got a couple of holly trees and they were really tall and spindly and we've kind of cut them down a wee bit, but we're not really wanting them to look like lollipops. And when should we be pruning our holly tree that we've got here? Okay, Dave. Well, the thing with hollies is you kind of you want to keep them weed free, a wee bit of light general fertilizer in the spring, followed by that mulch. And with hollies, you're really pruning to get good growth and pruned to shape, and that should be done November, December, into January when they're dormant. And that's kind of ideal if you want to use the trimmings in the house at Christmas, for example. But you should aim mine and maybe, you know, you want the lower branches to be a wee bit longer than the upper branches at the top so that you get a kind of pyramidal shape. And you should maybe even think about allowing them to touch the ground. Basically, we hollies, think before you snip. Okay. Work to maintain a good overall shape. And use your secateurs. Don't be putting a hedge trimmer on them. You damage no. the leaves and you make them more ragged and make a mess out of them. Keep an eye out for things like leaf miner and holly blight and all you see yellow purpley blotches. Cut that bit off. And here's another queer tip, you know, with hollies. Mind that hollies flower on the older wood. So if you prune them in the winter, you're not going to get as good a crop of berries. 
if you leave the pruning to the spring and in this uh, in the summer even and in the summer oh. you only cut off the branches that have got the you know the long extension growth so you just didn't go and rushing to prune your hollies but november december january is near a bad time Cheapers, oh, I didn't think really it was that complicated. Richie, right, yeah. it's, it's not just a case of wading in there. Huh. Yeah, that's good to know, because <laughs> I've done that. <laughs> I wondered what happened to my holly. <laughs> well, you see, if you, cut, if you cut off a lot of the older wood, you didn't get flowers, Aye. And because the flowers are on the older wood, and it's the flowers that produce the berries. And, of course, some hollies, you get male hollies and female hollies on different plants. So you, you really? aye, it, it, so it, and then you get some that are self fertile and whatever. It's it's oh, man. It, it's not just a simple business. She was. I thought it was just hollies. You like the holly? Aye, oh, oh, but it, you see, nature's queer though. Everything that looks simple is no. Including folk, I would put into that. I was just going to say, you can in nature, all things are connected, and and the way that bees work. Is a good example of that. There, there, there's one was saying earlier about the Queen's no meeting. What's going on there? We don't, we don't really can. It's, uh, you know, we're focusing a lot more on the environment around us uh, as it happens, and we're just, we're just beginning to wonder there's something going on, but we just kind of put our finger on it. There's things are not just quite normal, right? This time, I asked you one question: Fit would you recommend folk to plant for bees? Oh, stick to the wild varieties, anything with nice open petals. So daisies and, well, they particularly like in the spring, crocus, if you're going to plant for bees, because they get a really good source of pollen from the crocus in the spring. And in the autumn, something that's really good for them is ivy, because believe it or not, ivy flowers really late. And then they get, you know, pollen from the ivy as well late in the year they get guy crystallized honey Aye. but the pollen's really good for them late in the year so crocus and ivy are excellent I for bees yeah and other than that just stick to wild native varieties that the bees can actually get at if you have half a fancy stuff well loads and loads and loads of petals half a bonnie can of get at them is that the digger drivers Aye. <laughs> telling us to get move on i think it was <laughs> Thank you, everyone, for that. And some good ideas there. Claire, just a thought. Do you use honey in your recipes a lot? I do, Frida. I do. And I think sort of a local honey, you're just capturing the sort of essence of the area, aren't you? Because you've got that unique combination of whatever the sort of local flora is. Mm -hmm. Um, And it's such a valuable ingredient. The amount of work that goes into a jar of honey. You're telling me. I do use it a lot and I don't, I mean, I don't like to waste it. So I quite often would mix honey with like a more neutral sweetener, like normal sugar, for example. So you're still getting that flavour, but you're not having to use the whole jar to make like one cake or one crumble or something. So I've got a recipe here. This is a a honey and whiskey custard with berries and granola. (laughs) So definitely a nod to your classic Kranikin. It's a more autumnal version. It's an incredibly rich honey and whiskey spike custard it's no one to pour in your crumble it's double cream it's eggs and egg yolks and all sorts and that's served with berries from the garden or frozen from your freezer um, Mm -hmm. and a honey granola for a bit of extra crunch so to make the granola you'd mix together 200 grams of jumbo oats with three tablespoons of apple juice two tablespoons of honey two tablespoons of demerara sugar for a bit of crunch 
and a tablespoon of vegetable oil. Mix that wheel, spread it out in a baking sheet, bake it at 140 Celsius for maybe 30 to 40 minutes, just stirring it from time to time until it's nice and golden brown. Set that aside to cool. For your custard, it's half a pint of milk, half a pint of double cream, a split vanilla <laughs> pod, <laughs> um, and bring that up to just below a simmer. Meanwhile, you're whisking together two egg yolks, two whole eggs, two ounces of honey and an ounce of castor sugar, and then add the hot liquid, mix it well, return it to a low heat, and then just cook that on the very lowest heat, very, very gently until it's thickened into a custard. So you don't want to scramble those eggs. Strain it into a bowl and then add a wee bit of whiskey to taste and refrigerate that till it's cold. It will thicken up to quite a thick custard. And to serve that, I would whisk up the custard. I sometimes fold a wee bit more double cream through it to give it a lighter texture. And then layer that in a glass with berries, the toasted (laughs) granola. And it's a very decadent pudding, but it's absolutely delicious. Oh, Richie. Can you send one to the post, please, Claire? <laughs> <laughs> it's just a thing, yeah, sort of like a... <laughs> oh, that sounds that's amazing. That's a classic. That is an absolute classic. You came for I tasted for the first time this week. No. A courgette cake. Go oh, then. Oh, oh, oh. Go then. It was a courgette cake. I'll tell you more about that in the next episode. Is this because you've had lots of courgettes this year? Yes, I've just had lots of courgettes. What am I going to use it for now? But uh, (laughs) another neighbour arrived with a courgette, a bit of courgette cake for me, and it was delicious. Oh, my goodness, that was so good. Right, on with the gardener stuff. You can tell we're foodies. We can't help it. We really do enjoy hearing all the recipes and just imagining what we could cook. And some of us are a bit challenged in that respect, but we're going to go there. Right, last but not least, we finish this session in our virtual cities with Dave Mitchell and his topic for us this time, Dave, that it is. Well, it's about th- preparing a garden for winter. And, you know, that, that's a queer thought, but we're sitting here in October and, you know, we really need to be thinking about all the things that we need to be organised about that might take a wee bit longer to get and what gardening jobs you need to do between now and April next year. Now, mine and check that you've got enough horticultural fleece or some of the fancy bags that you use to cover your plants to keep Jack Frost off. Because if you mm-hmm. order them, they might take a wee bit longer to come. So get away oh. out now and check your shed and make sure you've got it. Make sure you've got some spare bits of glass or corex if you've got a greenhouse so that if you get a busted pane of glass and if it's blowing a hoolie, you're not waiting on it coming because deliveries could be a wee bit slower. You need to make sure you've got tape to fix your polytunnel. And another thing, test your greenhouse heaters and your soil warning cables and your propagators and stuff. Make sure you've got enough insulation material for your greenhouse because I just hear a notion that you can, you might not just get some of these things as quick as, you, as you're used to just with the way we're gone. Mine and clean your lawnmower and put it away properly. Then they just throw it in the back of the shed and leave it all dirty. You know, folk are bad, folk are bad for that. Then they do that. It's, it's treated you well. Get a, treat it with respect. Get a good clean and oil it and grease it and put it away and then you'll know how yes, fast next year when you get it out. Rich, you're going to get a row. Rich is going to get a row. This is his state of mind. Ah, well, you get to go and do that, Budge. Now, another thing. We, we, 
we we all just think about it. Fertilizers, pots, labels, compost, and other bits. We just think, oh, we can order that and it'll arrive. Yeah. It might just know. So get away and be thinking about what you're wanting and get these things ordered. It also takes the pressure off the companies and the delivery vans and stuff. Get thinking about what seeds oh, you need man. to order. Here's another good tip. Go then. Go then. <laughs> take a walk around your borders and take some photos on your phone and just hear, think about, does that bit need red root? Does oh. this bit need replanting? Oh, because especially your herbaceous plants, because you, you look at the border and you go, oh, I'll take that out and I'll get rid of this and I'll get rid of that. And then February comes when you're doing it and you can't mind where it was. Aye. Mm -hmm. Or you've forgotten just quite what it looked like. Right, I've, I've heard enough. Before you go, before you go, Dave, you mentioned, when we had a, a blether this week, you mentioned planting sweet peas. Now, the folk plant sweet peas uh, now. Folk, folk plant sweet peas now, right? Yeah. Have you heard of this, Richie? Planting your sweet uh, peas now? No. I so you can sow them now and then you get better plants. Um, serious? Mm -hmm. And they, you know, if you can get them through the winter, they'll be better and more mature next year, you know? Oh, very good. Never heard of that. Well, right. And the other thing, Aye. we're not going to let you off the hook yet. I'm just thinking about other jobs. <laughs> like, Richie, I'm, I'm way behind <laughs> in these jobs, slightly, because I've been reading out, <laughs> ducking down, and sorting out trees. There's about 10 loads of scrag that I've had to take out of the garden already and the mare uh. to come. Anyway, before you put doing your buckets and your spuds, go on and tell folk about the horse chestnuts. Listen to fit Dave tell me. Oh, you want to care about that weird and wonderful stuff? Mm -hmm. The horse chestnut. Mm -hmm. Can you mind a plane with them as a bairn? Well, oh, you can, they're no native to Britain. Oh. They're, they're an immigrant. They came from the Balkans in about 1600. And they're pollinated by wind and also insects. They're, they're quite interesting in the fact that they were one of the first more complicated flowers to evolve that was pollinated by insects. There's fossil evidence of chestnuts that's been 96 to 116 million years ago. That's when the dinosaurs were roaming about the wow. earth, including here in Scotland. Good so the next time you're sitting underneath you, or you see you when you're out for a walk, just mind how long it's been on the planet and that it doesn't belong to Britain. <laughs> and another wee thing, if you're playing with conkers and opening them and closing them, mind and wash your hands. You shouldn't be soaking your fingers after you've done that, because oh, they contain wee things called saponins. You know, I, I used to play with them a lot. Did you hate conkers as a bear? Did you keep them in your pocket, Richie, to the world? Oh, yeah. Hard and Actually, I'll give you a laugh. I, I found a wee bag in the garage and amongst one of my old boxes when I was a bear, and it was full of conkers for about 25 years Aww. ago. They were proper hard new, I tell you. <laughs> we a leather bit lace on it, eh? Oh, that's it, bye. <laughs> I, I mind uh, there's there's one guy that used to soak them in vinegar and it turned them into like bouncing balls. <laughs> I don't know how, but he beat everyone with you, you soak, them, soak them in vinegar, vinegar <laughs> and, and, and he used to clean them with bit, brune bit polish and all, so they were all shiny and hard. Oh, brilliant, man. Oh, I tell you. <laughs> Gone are the days. Don was a good way to get sear knuckles. Oh. <laughs> it beats working with iPads and iPhones on any day. Oh, yes. I don't think we'll be... Uh, Oh, that seriously with some of the bears there. Yeah. Uh, you, you just sat busy in that gear up there. I had one last question for you. Have you potted up your strawberry runners? No. 
Well, now's the time to do it. Go out there and you'll get a load of plants for nothing. Get them wide up. I'll give you a bigger list of jobs than no. I did. <laughs> Enough. We close the shady doors again. Join us in the next episode of Grow Radio and visit our website to enjoy the films made by our team member Finn Nixon and to record your garden questions. We've got a recording button as well. Uh, that's on our super duper record button. And remember, you can email us at info at growradio.com, info at growradio.com. Can I hug back? So, are you ready, team? For the team and for me, Freedom Morrison. Enjoy your garden and heast you back. So, bye now! Bye the news! Bye the news! That was pretty much in time, wasn't it? <laughs>